Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady. Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Today, I have a very, very, very important episode for you guys. I rushed this one. I went off of our typical recording schedule just to get this conversation out there as fast as possible. Dr. Andrew Wakefield is really an incredible person. He graduated from the largest medical university in the whole world. University of London. Gastroenterologist, I probably butchered that word a second time, as you'll find the first time in this episode, but Dr. Wakefield, or Andy, as he likes to be called, or Steve, as he likes to call me, uh, he really reached down to join us. His big step down for him. Obviously, he could be on Oprah or the tonight show or one of these big platforms but they have their head stuck up their ass so a guy like dr andrew wakefield comes to a show like ours the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast speaking of family that's exactly why i wanted to have this conversation with with andy because he is a very well respected doctor he has the answers that i think the people i care most about should listen i hope you enjoy this conversation please get Get in touch with me if you have any questions or if you have any questions you would like to ask the doctor yourself, I might be able to forward them over to him. Enjoy the episode with Dr. Andrew Wakefield. Go to the CDC's own website and see what they say. Become enlightened, become educated. Then go to the National Vaccine Information Center, nvic.org. And this was set up by a woman called Barbara Lowe Fisher who has been in vaccine safety science for a very, very long time, starting with the original whole cell whooping cough vaccine way back in the early 80s. And she sat on the regulators committee as the lay member. So she's fully aware of the way in which these structures operate. We have choices. We can choose to live a healthy lifestyle, or we can choose not to. We can choose the vaccine, or we can choose not to. And it is a matter of personal choice. Don't in, don't push your choices on other people. If you want to make a choice, 
you, then you live and die. Get educated. The information is there. So please don't, please don't ignore it because your life may depend on it. The life of your family may depend on it. Get informed and do so without cynicism, without, you know, just address the issues. The information is there and come to an informed choice. That is absolutely essential. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mark. Unfortunately, my co-host could not be here today, but that's fine because our guests, our highly esteemed guests, Dr. Andrew Wakefield is joining us today to talk about a really pressing issue. A lot of people that I care about are worried about their health, so I wanted to put this conversation out there so people can weigh all of the options. And and I think if you're finding this podcast, you know that the media is giving you one side of the argument or one side of the, the debate. And maybe Dr. Wakefield can help clarify and we can have a, a whole concise understanding of this. So without further ado, Andy, how are you? Thanks for joining me today. Sue, it's great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me on. So now for those who aren't familiar with you, but you've done so much in the anti-vax space way before COVID, obviously you're a doctor, you're somebody who maybe had a falling out with the medical industry, the pharmaceutical industry. And, you know, even as a young man, not in medical school, it was pretty blatant to me that there were some, there was some catches and there was some pitfalls with the medical industry. So without getting my bias right up out in front of us, tell us about your experience and how you became kind of disenfranchised with the whole uh, medical industry. Sure, Steve. I, for those who don't know, I'll kind of put it in a nutshell, but I graduated in 1981 from medical school from Mary's Hospital in London, part of the University of London. Six generations of my family have qualified as doctors from that, that medical school. And I was entirely mainstream. I trained as a surgeon and I, my principal interests were inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, two epidemic and kind of somewhat enigmatic diseases. We didn't have a, an answer to what was causing them. And I got involved in looking at measles vaccines as a possible way of triggering these diseases. And, and in 1995, I remember it was May, I think it May the 17th or 19th, 1995, I got a call from a parent, very smart woman, not anti-vaccine, took her child to be vaccinated on time. And she said, my child was absolutely fine, developing normally speech, language, interaction with his siblings, perfectly healthy until he had his vaccine. After the vaccine, he had a seizure. He slept for three days. When he woke up, he was a different child. He was gone. The light in his eyes had gone. He could no longer speak, he couldn't communicate, he didn't interact with his siblings, he had no interest in the world. He was eventually diagnosed with autism. And I said, I know nothing about autism. I'm sorry, I'm a gastroenterologist. When I was at medical school, autism was so rare that we weren't even taught about it. One in 10,000, I didn't even know the numbers, it was just vanishingly rare. And so she said, the reason I'm coming to you, Dr. Wakefield, is because my child has terrible gastrointestinal problems and no one takes any notice. They say that's just part of autism, put him in a home, forget about him. And 
And she said he has pain, he has bloating, he has, he has terrible constipation, alternating with diarrhea, he's failing to thrive, he's not growing. All of these are cardinal features of an underlying disease. But because medicine saw autism as a psychological problem, then they couldn't get, medicine couldn't get beyond that. And it was my first exposure to the, some of the great failings of medical perception, how people perceived autism. You know, historically, it was the mother's fault. It was the mother hated her child and wanted them dead, and therefore the child sensed this. So it was absolutely incredible. When medicine doesn't have an answer, it blames someone else. And in this case, it blamed the parent. And then it was genetics. It was the parent's fault again. It was anything but a vaccine, even though many, many parents were telling the same story. So I put together a, a team of, of very, very good researchers, and we started looking at this. And the parents, the mothers were absolutely right. The children had bowel inflammation. They had an inflammatory bowel disease. And when we treated that with anti-inflammatory medication and diet and supplementation, then not only did the bowel symptoms get better, but the autism got better. And that was fascinating. It's like rather like Lorenzo's oil. If, if any of your listeners remember that story, that movie about parents discovering a treatment for their child's rare condition, it was like that. We, we thought, you know, we were academics. We thought that didn't happen. So we did it 180 times and it happened virtually every time. We thought, wow, this is real. There is some interaction between what's going on in the bowel and in the brain that is that is more than just this child is feeling better therefore they're able to interact they were starting to use words that they hadn't used for five years it was incredible and so we had to take the vaccine issue very very seriously at least i did my colleagues were very reluctant to do it they said andy as pediatricians we can't be seen to challenge the safety of mmr vaccine and that meant nothing to me i didn't know what that was was that that wasn't science, that wasn't medicine, that was kind of respectability. We don't want our colleagues to see us as anything less than supportive of vaccine policy. You know, to hell with the children. The children, if, if they were suffering or being injured in large numbers, that didn't matter. What matters was we couldn't, can't be seen to challenge the safety of the vaccine. So I decided I, I had a choice. I came to a crossroads in my career. I either worked for public health and the pharmaceutical industry or I work for the parent and the child sitting across the desk from me whose lives have been destroyed. And it was a very simple choice. It wasn't a brave choice. It was a very simple choice. I just, that's what I signed up for. That's what I did. And a dean of the medical school said to me, if you continue this vaccine safety research, it won't be good for your career. Well, <laughs> in that, he was absolutely right. And when you offend the pharmaceutical industry, and this really threatened their bottom line, the idea that this condition that if it were related to vaccines could be cost them 20 million dollars per child it would bankrupt them so it had to be crushed it had to be stopped and when you offend the pharmaceutical industry threaten their profits then there is no price you won't pay and so eventually my medical career came to an end and interestingly over the years what had happened is that People had come to me from industry and from government agencies like the CDC with remarkable stories of wrongdoing, of fraud. And they'd say, you know, I've lived with this all these years. I can't live with it any longer. Here's the evidence. We have done something really, really bad. 
And I thought at that stage, okay, I'm going to make films. I'm going to turn these stories into films and I'm going to make the industry, make the government accountable for what it's done to these children. And that really is, is where I am right now. Wow. And for those who aren't aware of all this, I mean, it really puts it in perspective why the cards are stacked against us in the sense of like when you're looking at this from a non-scientific or a non-academic background the cards are so stacked against you because you have 85 percent of all doctors shackled by the leg to these pharmaceutical companies and then you wonder why you know, this Chris Rock joke is so popular about how, oh, they're not trying to keep you healthy or make you healthy. They're trying to keep you sick because that makes them more money. You know, and I just butchered that joke completely. I don't remember the joke, but I'm sure, Andy, you've heard that before. And it's 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 amazing the cognitive dissonance when you talk to people about like, oh, pharmaceutical ads or pharmaceutical side effects. Most people would agree like, oh, yeah, that's that's wild. I can't believe that happens to people. But when it comes to vaccines, people have this reflex, this reaction of like, well, don't even question it, you know, and it, and it's tough because so many people have maybe ignored those signs or didn't realize there was something that they should be looking into that could potentially harm their children. And now it's too late. They've already been vaccinated themselves. They've vaccinated their children. So it's an emotional thing to look into when you realize like, oh, did I potentially harm my child or myself? You know, some people, they'd rather have their head in the sand. So for those who, for those who maybe were suspicious, you just heard Dr. Sade himself. I mean, he's not, he's not successful financially because of this, you know, this is something he's doing from the bottom of his heart because he sees the victims, he sees the families, he sees the children hurting and, and has put his, his life and his mind towards finding solutions. So for those who are still skeptical, Andy, what would you say would be the number one thing you would tell someone who right now is considering getting the vaccine themselves? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So there's, there is I was going to say there is no upside to this, but the upside is that you can live with yourself. You know that you've done the right thing. I mean, I was accused of fraud. I was accused of abuse of children. I was accused of anything they could throw at me, they would in order. And you can destroy a scientist's career or a doctor's career in five minutes. And it takes a lifetime, if ever, to rebuild that. And most people don't even bother. What you need to realize is that it's not about you, actually. It's not about you. Forget about your reputation. Forget about what the world cares, thinks about you and get on and do the job because that's the thing that you're there to do. And so what I would say to people, and I say this to doctors as well, when they say to me, look, vaccines are safe. I know I trained it. I'm, I'm wearing a white coat and I know vaccines are safe because I'm wearing a white coat. Like that suddenly magically imbues them with this preternatural wisdom about vaccines when they, they spend maybe half a day on vaccines in medical school. And I say, okay, here's a question for you. How long, hepatitis B is given in this country as a policy in hospital to all babies in the first 24 hours of life. Hepatitis B, a disease of drug injecting, uh, people sharing needles and sexually promiscuous. 
That's hepatitis B. So your baby doesn't fall into that category. Why would you give a baby this vaccine? And tell me something, if you did do it, how long would you want that vaccine to have been tested for safety before that policy was instituted? And you say to doctors, how long was it tested for safety? And they say, oh, well, I, I imagine a matter of months, if not years. And you say, really, really, how long do you think it was tested for safety? You say, well, I, I don't know. You say five days, five days. So if your baby dies on day six, it's nothing to do with the vaccine. Moreover, was this vaccine subjected to a trial against some placebo, some inert substance as a control? No, zero science. And finally, was it tested to get that approval in that age group of one day old babies? No, it was not. There is no science behind it. There is no justification whatsoever, but it makes hospitals a lot of money. And yet doctors will defend this tooth and nail in complete ignorance of the facts. And ignorance is not a good place to argue from. Now, again, Dr. Wakefield, I agree with that, but playing devil's advocate, I would say, but there's no way all these hospitals can be complicit uh, in giving somebody something that's detrimental to their health just for greed. What would you say to that? I say they don't even need to entertain the idea that it's doing harm. They can just say, look, this vaccine is, we believe, and the reason the CDC give is that if you give a vaccine to a baby on day one of life, then you get them enrolled in the strategy of vaccination. They become compliant with vaccination. That's not a reason to vaccinate. The fact that there's no safety studies is no reason to vaccinate. And then they will say, well, you know, we don't see that there's any evidence of harm. We're told by the CDC, and this is their get out of jail card that you refer to, is that they say we don't see evidence of harm. And the evidence of harm is concealed by the CDC. They actually committed scientific fraud, overt, blatant scientific fraud, by covering up the fact that if you got that hepatitis B vaccine on the first day of life, just that one dose containing the mercury preservative that used to be in it, then your chances of developing autism were increased by sevenfold over those who didn't get that vaccine on the first day of life. But because the CDC conceals it from doctors, from hospitals, they can institute that policy in the absence of any knowledge that that vaccine is harmful. So the sin, if you like, comes from the regulators themselves who covered that fact up. Right. So they reframe the science, they restructure the conversation in a way to obfuscate the actual data, which shows that these toxic chemicals like thermerosol, which is just a fancy name for concentrated mercury, and that's an ingredient on the vaccine slip, thermerosol. They've reframed it so that people don't even really question it. They, you know, they are able to hear a convenient statistic that the CDC has crafted, and then that's enough for them. So for those who aren't happy with just a, you know, basic explanation, 
where would you turn folks to find that actual science? And, you know, because it's out there, the sources are out there. Where are the independent studies that show that these vaccines are, are causing harm? I think the best source of information, one that I recommend to people, and I do recommend, please, to compare and contrast, go to the CDC's own website and see what they say. Become enlightened, become educated. Then go to the National Vaccine Information Center, nvic.org. And this was set up by a woman called Barbara Lowe Fisher, who has been in vaccine safety science for a very, very long time, starting with the original whole cell whooping cough vaccine way back in the early 80s. And she sat on the regulators committee as a, the lay member. So she's fully aware of the way in which these structures operate. And she provides a very, very comprehensive and well-referenced analysis of policy, of law, and of vaccine safety. And so if you want to go to a single site that offers the best information, and we'll refer you on to other sites, then please go to nbic.org. And then to get what we have done in terms of filmmaking is to do the heavy lifting. We've distilled all the information into an entertaining one and a half, two hour movie. And so if you go to our website, our film website, then you'll see much of what you hear about in detail in Barbara's website on that website. So 1986theact.com. Now, kudos to you both. I mean, her for, for putting that together, you for putting this movie together. But, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years, Andrew, Andy. You know, I've been talking to people about the truth since I was, you know, just finding it out for myself because I'm just so passionate about it. And maybe I'm a bad representative. Maybe I don't do a good job of uh, explaining what I truly believe and what I've found. But sometimes, unfortunately, a link, a movie is not enough. So we're dealing with people we care about here. And, and I've always had the philosophy of like, you can't control anybody. You can't push anything on anybody. If someone wants to take a step to change themselves for the better, they have to do it on their own. But when you're talking about something that can potentially have really detrimental effects, it hurts to think like, wow, I can't share this information with the people I love most because they're just too skeptical at this point to even hear me out. So if you were in that position, and I'm sure you might be with some people you care about, you know, how, how would you open up the conversation to maybe help someone realize the true science that's out there rather than just what the mainstream media has portrayed? I start, I would start by, firstly, I was in that position. I had, I've got four children. I had two boys to begin with and a daughter, another boy, and they were vaccinated. Now the policy was at the time, it wasn't a, a whole host of vaccines. It wasn't 72 doses of vaccines like it is now for children you know, in school, but they got their vaccines because even though I was a doctor, I, I was a gastroenterologist, I didn't question it. And that more fooled me for allowing that to happen without, as a scientist and a physician, at least asking the question. But we, we dealt with this in the latest film, because this was the thing that what you've heard and what I've heard every time is, well, what about polio? So usually you've got this husband-wife scenario and the woman says, I'm a bit worried about 
vaccination for our children. What should we do? And he said, you've got to be kidding. What about polio? And walks out of the room. Like, that's it. The debate's over. <laughs> what about polio? So in the movie, we decided to address that up front. Have the husband and wife scenario where they, you know, and he just says, what about polio? And, walks out. and then we deliver the story on polio. What really happened with polio? And I think if you approach it from that perspective, from the perspective of the questions people habitually raise about this, then people go, okay, well, if that wasn't true, I'm going to listen to the rest of this, or I'm going to watch the rest of this movie and see what else is revealed. And that's what we've done. And, and that's a very effective way of doing it, because you don't avoid the issue. You don't avoid the question. You take it head on right at the very beginning and answer it so that they can move forward from that point. Right. Right. And, and it is in this genre so confusing sometimes because you have so many passionate people, you have so many skeptical people, you have so many people who are so quick to want to point the finger at somebody and say, look, it was the Nazis. Look, it was the Tuskegee Airmen experiment. Look, it was the AIDS virus. Look at, and I always have a kind of uh, position of like, well, let me hear it all and, and let the cards fall where they will. But considering how many theories we've heard, I mean, would you say that polio was in fact mistakenly blamed, you know, were the causes misrepresented? I mean, I've heard recently over the past couple of years, people blame things like dirty electricity, right? This, uh, this sort of unnatural frequency that was created with the invention of you know ac and dc wires going through the streets and and with radio waves being broadcasted is there any credit credence to those theories do you think it is truly a you know a, a battle of like a virus versus an immune system or are we being misrep is the science being misrepresented even you know to the point of we don't understand what's really going on here where do you stand on that I don't think we understand what's going on. What, what we do know is that often for an infection to produce a disease, it requires a cofactor. It doesn't happen on its own. It requires something else to have changed in the environment that influences either the virus or the host, the human, that makes the host more susceptible or the virus more aggressive capable of producing a new disease. So firstly, let's start from that position that the idea that cofactors operate, it's not just infection equals disease, that, that it is plausible that something else happened. So why did polio go? Because polio virus is an enterovirus, it's a gut virus, it's been around for a very long time. Why did it suddenly in the 40s and 50s start producing this paralytic disease? It appeared in epidemic form and then decayed away. And it did the mortality from polio, paralytic polio had reduced by half before the vaccine had even come to market. So it couldn't explain the entirety of the declining severity, the mortality from polio. So was there some other factor? And I've seen, I haven't heard the one about ACDC, but I have heard and seen it very rationally explained that things like DDT may have been a cofactor. So it has been suggested that DDT is a cofactor or was a cofactor 
that impacted pediatric childhood populations at the same time as this virus became highly virulent. Now, is that true? We don't know, and nor will we ever know because, because we can't go back in time and do the kind of studies that are necessary. But we can accept that cofactors are often required to produce uh, a change in the way in which an infection operates. And so I don't think it's as simple as an infection equals a disease. I think that, and what, what we've seen with COVID is another example of this. Who's at risk? What are the cofactors operating in people with COVID? People who are obese, who are diabetic, who have immunodeficiency, who are over a certain age, because age is associated with what's called immune senescence. The immune system kind of goes to sleep. It doesn't work as well. So a declining function in the immune system is a cofactor that will make you more susceptible to a viral disease, allow it to do something it wouldn't otherwise do. And so we see these cofactors operating, and it's likely that there are many other cofactors that we haven't identified. One of the problems with vaccination is that we're introducing other factors. Let me give you an example for, let's say, measles vaccine. Measles was a respiratory disease, it was inhaled, you, your immune system became educated in a certain way over hundreds of thousands of years in how to deal with this virus by seeing it through the respiratory tract. Suddenly we start injecting it. Why are we surprised that the outcome is different? We're bypassing the entire evolutionary immune system that has been put there, that has arisen to deal effectively with this infection. And so we change the dose, we change the route, we change the mean age of exposure, and we change the strain of the virus. We're introducing all these changes to the virus, and we're worried, we're surprised that it produces a different outcome. We, we really shouldn't be. We really shouldn't be. And well, look, I think we're operating in an extreme example of that right now with COVID, where I think there's an abundance of evidence that this was a man-made problem, that we, this virus was created in a laboratory and escaped, whether by design or by accident, but nonetheless is more virulent because it has been deliberately altered than it would otherwise have been in its natural form. And it just, unfortunately, for people to hear that who are are not aware of most of the things we've already mentioned in this conversation, it sounds like a science fiction movie and a villain, like, a, like there's some villain out there, you know, and through researching conspiracy theory and all its forms and all its genres and this alternative way of looking at the world, it's quite obvious that there is a sort of hidden hand, a hidden objective at the very least behind most of the world's governments and, and corporations. And that's just my own opinion. I don't want to, you know, misrepresent how you feel about it, doctor. But Andy, can I ask you if this was in, you know, invented or created in a lab, in a laboratory, as you, you mentioned, what, what was the agenda, do you think? Have you thought towards that at all? And, and why would this have possibly hit us in the way it has with this whole COVID rollout spacing? What's the objective that, that you've kind of... It's a very interesting question, and one I'd look, like to put to people like 
Tony Fauci, let's just deal with what we do know to start with as a sort of baseline. And that is that many years ago during the Obama administration, and you'll know this, Steve, they were what were called gain of function studies done in the laboratory. And you can do these in a variety of ways, gene mutation or by cell culture, where you give to a virus a property that it didn't previously have by changing its genetic backbone. And that can be done, for example, to increase the infectivity. It makes it more infectious to humans. And that was what was done with the coronavirus. Now, these studies were deemed by many scientists to be totally irresponsible. You do not know what you are doing or what the consequences might be. You might produce some Frankenstein virus that causes the world a great deal of harm. And so it was outlawed effectively in America. A group of scientists wrote to, I think it was Science or Nature, condemning this practice, and it was stopped. It didn't stop, however, on behalf of American scientists, because what happened, and this has now emerged as being true, is that um, under the direction, direction of Tony Fauci, funds were supplied to do this work offshore. Now, I would consider that to be treasonous, to have something outlawed in your own country that is then conducted at the behest of American scientists in other countries, and that country happened to be China, happened to be the Wuhan lab. And the person, the intermediary in this, just as an interesting throwaway, Peter Daszak, who laundered the money for that study actually worked for me once we and we were we did some science together we funded him and he published anyways <laughs> that's peter dazak for you and it doesn't surprise me that he would be involved in such a thing however those studies did lead to a gain of function for this virus and that appears to be that it made it more infectious for human beings and exactly what those scientists predicted in that paper condemning this practice appears to have happened. Again, whether it escaped by design or by accident, the consequence for the world has been catastrophic. And I really think one of my big concerns in everything I've done is lack of accountability. There is no accountability and it's extraordinary to me that Tony Fauci, despite the evidence, is not being asked, is not being held accountable, is not having these questions put to him by a congressional committee that he's having to defend. Agreed, 100%. I mean, the, the word that you use that's really ringing in my mind is a function, right? This, this virus clearly was created with a function and all the things that have come about in the past year and a half or so now have really just just been something that I don't think they would have ever been able to roll out without this functionality of the virus. So, you know, and that's that's why I'm I'm glad to have you on and get this clarification because in this genre of podcasting, there are so many theories. There's so many people who are saying maybe the virus doesn't exist. There's people saying, you know, that 5G is the cause of some of these ailments. And as a gastro, and gonna completely. It's a tough one. 
completely <laughs> butcher that word. I'm sorry. As a doctor who specializes in that p- specific part of the body, I mean, I'm sure you, you're very familiar with the modern Western diet and or at least the industrial diet and how inflammatory it, it really is. I mean, those are, would you say that inflammation is one of the major, major root causes of most of our uh, problems as human beings, or am I off with Absolutely. that? Absolutely. I think inflammation is not only responsible for the consequences of inflammation per se, the immediate, you know, swelling and pain and dysfunction, but it also clearly leads to cancer. So inflammation is a precursor to cancer in many instances. So it could account inflammation and understanding inflammation is essential to, and preventing inflammation, even more importantly, preventing inflammation by, as you allude to, eating the right things rather than eating pro-inflammatory foods is essential to protecting our health, allowing the body to do what it does best. And that is to prevent injury and heal it when it happens on its own without the benefit of pharmaceutical intervention. Right. And I'm reminded of a really great person here in on the East Coast, Dr. Shiva Ayurde, who has a book about whole systems, you know, and as a programmer, that was something he specialized in was the, the idea of systems and what a system is. And the human body is a self functioning, all-encompassing system. Our immune system is designed to interact with our environment in this pro-con sort of way where we're ultimately on top. We take in the good and the bad and adapt and become stronger. And I think the whole, and maybe this is just, again, my perspective, but I think the whole dichotomy or the, the landscape of how we understand our relationship with our environment has been flipped upside down by these same groups of people who have, you know, invented all of these new allopathic treatments that really just keep us sicker, right? Because we're forgetting that whole system approach and you know, mistakenly thinking of ourselves as these broken, fragile beings who need all of this outside help to stay healthy. And I don't personally think that's ever been a part of my experience. I mean, I've, I've broken bones and and I've never taken pain medication. I've always just, you know, went to nutrition and diet first, but considering what, you know, new challenges are, are, are against us now with, this medical malpractice worldwide, what would you say on top of a, a healthy immune system, a healthy diet, what can people do to keep their, their themselves healthy and not have to rely on a vaccine? Well, I, sorry, Dan, Steve, I apologize. Somebody's working on my boat at the moment, making it seaworthy. So there's maybe a little noise in the background, but I think that people need to understand what you refer to, and that is the remarkable capacity of the body to heal itself, if allowed to do so, without the intervention of expensive, unnecessary, and inevitably consequential therapies, side effects related to therapy. So I think the other thing that people need to bring to the equation, and this is often ignored, is the emotional side of things, the spiritual side of things. And healing is often so influenced by our emotional state, our emotional well-being, that whatever good we do, 
is not allowed to happen, is not allowed to have its full effect because we're still constrained by uh, an emotional limitation. There are things that we need to deal with that we haven't dealt with. And this may sound a little kooky, but this is a position that I, excuse me, that I have uh, come to after many years of being really strictly in the mainstream medical model of, of you know, growing up with that and thing, and then finding actually, no, it doesn't work. It really doesn't work. And there are better alternatives, much better alternatives without the side effects. And included in that is the is addressing not only your nutritional status, your overall well-being and health through exercise, but your emotional well-being as well. And I think that combination put together and worked upon can bring about optimal healing. Right. And isn't it so convenient for those who are trying to sell the vaccine that the media has been just scaring the crap out of us for the past year? I mean, that certainly feels to me part and parcel. But for those who aren't aware of this sort of uh, secret agreement between the media and the pharmaceutical companies and even the, you know, big commercial agriculture industries, I mean, this is this is the sort of monopoly that we're facing right i mean they're they're working in cahoots would you wouldn't you agree i mean that's why in school they're giving children this awful you know foundation to begin with where they're drinking chocolate milk and low fat this and sugar free this even though it has you know erythrol or whatever else sweeteners in it i mean the the idea that we are you know supposed to take this because it's the right thing to do for society it reminds me of a really, really, really powerful quote that's on my website. It's like, it's no measure of health to be adjust, well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And that's what we're, we're in. We're in a sick society and we're being offered a sort of boo-boo band-aid to kind of keep us going just long enough and then end up in a hospital bed. And uh, sadly, that's how most Americans, you know, and their life is is in a, in a publicly sponsored hospital. And it's just, I don't know. I, maybe I'm a nihilist doctor, but when it comes to this stuff, but where's the hope for people? Because I hope after listening to this conversation, folks who were skeptical, folks that I care about dearly uh, might think twice about, you know, rushing to get this just so they can, you know, be a part of some family gathering. And it's like, we need to take control of our health. Would you not agree with that? I mean, people Absolutely. for the most part aren't living healthy to begin with. So this is not going to be a fix at all. This is just going to keep you hooked into the this medical industry. Would, would you agree with that? Yes, I would. And, and it's, a, it's a matter of choices. We have choices. We can choose to live a healthy lifestyle or we can choose not to. We can choose the vaccine or we can choose not to. And it is a matter of personal choice don't in don't push your choices on other people if you want to make a choice for you then you live and die by that choice that's your decision but bear in mind that the drug companies make billions on vaccines and they make trillions on the diseases that are used to treat the potential consequences 
of vaccines. So what you said at the very beginning is absolutely correct. It's not a joke at all that they like to keep you unhealthy because that's really where they make the vast majority of their money. And people need to ask themselves this single question. If you take away nothing else from what I've said, then why do the vaccine manufacturers have no liability for injury and death caused by their vaccines? Why did Congress give them liability protection? They have a mandatory market. Children have to get vaccinated to go to school and they have no liability. They have the perfect business model. All they can do is make a massive profit. And with the COVID vaccines, nobody in the supply chain of that vaccine or those vaccines has any liability at all. So if you're injured, you're on your own. And when we toured the country with the new movie, 1986, The Act, which is essentially about this, people didn't know. 60, 70% of Americans were completely unaware of the fact that the pharmaceutical industry enjoys liability protection. Why would you need liability protection for a product that is safe or is claimed to be safe? Right. You wouldn't. Right. It's not safe. And that's why they had to have liability protection because the level of damage was so great and so obvious and the fraud that they committed to cover that up and conceal it from the government was so bad that they would have been bankrupt in a moment if they'd been held liable. And so they forced the government's feet to the fire. They blackmailed the government and said, there'll be no vaccines. Children will die. Whooping cough will come back. It'll be your fault. How do you feel about that? That is who we're dealing with. Okay, so just ask yourself that question. Why do they have no liability protection? That's a good starting point. Yeah, and it's just, it's, it's that amongst so many other things. I mean, we had uh, another filmmaker on the podcast, John Potash, who, who made a, uh, a film called Drugs as Weapons Against Us, the CIA's war against activists and musicians. And I mean, right there is an excellent case study. I mean, these drugs... They're sponsored wars by Congress to go to the places where those drugs are most prevalent, bring them back to this country in the, the caskets of the dead veterans. You know, the veterans themselves were, you know, fraught with opioid addictions and all these things that came after that era in American history. It's very clear to me now that we have this, you know, manufactured opioid crisis, right? I mean... The connection is there. These people are in cahoots. So when you say that Congress signed this sweet deal for the vaccine companies, it does not surprise me one bit, Andy. It really doesn't because the government at large is operating in so many different areas for guns, oils, drugs, and sex trafficking. I mean, that seems to be, to me, the primary modus operandi of this kind of military medical industrial complex and you know all these uh, big companies that squeeze their way in between like Monsanto and their cute little partnership at the World Fair with Disney and now Disney's ABC which you know is one of the only five companies that owns the media in this this beautiful society I'm so proud to be in but Dr. Wakefield again I mean this has been such a 
such an informative conversation with you. I really appreciate, really appreciate having you here. I mean, you've already given us some hopeful things to uh, leave our audience with, but on top of, you know, taking your health back, taking your emotional health back, what can people do today that you would say to kind of combat what we're facing in these new times? Two things I would say, just off the top of my head. One is that get educated. The information is there. So please don't, please don't ignore it because your life may depend on it. The life of your family may depend on it. Get informed and do so without cynicism, without, you know, just address the issues. The information is there and come to an informed choice. That is absolutely essential. The other thing is to mothers. To mothers, please, one of the most powerful influences in my medical career has been observing and acting upon the instincts, the intuition of mothers. Mothers know their children like no one else on this planet. And that relationship has evolved over millions and millions of years. It is one of the most powerful forces on the planet. It is, it is why we are here today, not because of doctors went men in white coat, vaccines, antibiotics, anything man has done. It is about a mother's certain knowledge of when her child is well and ill, what is right for them, what is not right for them. Trust that instinct because the man in the white coat has tried to usurp it, to take it away from you. Don't allow that to happen. Go back, trust that inner authority, not the external authority and the husbands who fathers of the children who do to some extent have this intuition, but nothing like mothers. Trust in the intuition of your wife, of your, the mother of your children, and it will serve you extremely well. So two messages to take away from my own experience. Wow. Thank you so much. It means, you know, really means so much to me because this, you know, this podcast was created for that reason, because I care so deeply about people in my life. And, and this is an issue that really hits home with everybody. I mean, it, it's going to affect everyone. So it's, it's about time. If you're listening that you take, takes the advice that, you know, you heard here today, because I know I certainly will. Dr. Wakefield, it's been a pleasure. I wish you the best of luck on your boat. I know that that might not be the most fortuitous place to be right now, but it's probably the best option for you. Am I, am I right? It's not a, a, luxur a luxurious choice living on that boat, is it? I tell you what, Steve, you, you don't miss what you had before, but you value everything. Right. You learn to appreciate every drop of water and every everything. Yeah, and it's it's a fascinating experience. So I, I started sailing back in the American bicentennial year, 1976, in the transatlantic tall ships race and kind of fell in love with it then. And here I am now on my own pirate ship. And so I have no complaints. Wow. Well, I wish you... bruises, but no complaints. <laughs> I wish you the best of luck on your journey. Safe travels on the high seas. Stay out of that Bermuda Triangle, will you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Dr. Andy, this has really been a pleasure. And please, listeners, take this man's advice seriously. He's been working very hard. He's dedicated his life to this. And he's got, you know, he's not getting anything out of it. He's not, there's no book to sell. He's just doing this to, to help people. So. Doctor, thank you again. Thanks for listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast and have a great day.
Mark is bananas. Okay, this guy's losing his mind. Don't listen to him. on patreon.com slash mftic that's patreon.com slash mftic